Doing all right, man. Just, uh, I'm a little sad. I got to be honest. I'm a little sad. It's the end of the college football season, and it's just it's it's so depressing because we wait so for so long for it to start. And it seems like it just takes forever. And then it, and then it's there. We all get excited. We all enjoy it. And it's gone in a blink of an eye. So here we are again, entering into another offseason. But we had an awesome game last night. And there's a lot of really other great things to talk about here. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, we. Have, it's an awesome game to talk about. I absolutely uh, agree with that. It is weird how fast the season goes. It is like, I feel like we were just talking about previews for the upcoming season and like what are our projections for how things are going to be. And now it's all over and there's no more college football for what, like eight and a half months. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's why, again, I mean, I know this is something that's been beaten to death by a lot of people, but like when people complain about all the bowl games and call them meaningless, like why do you why is does that bother you? It's just more college football. Let's take it all in because it's so short lived as it is. So, you know, I, I'll take whatever I can get. That's the thing. It's crazy. This isn't this isn't like basketball or baseball where you play a bajillion games and a bowl game is just one more. This yeah. is football. You only get 12 games. So having a bowl game, having that 13th game really fills out the end of the season and brings it to a meaningful conclusion. And Absolutely. yeah, we can talk about when we t- when we get in it, we can talk more about the bowl stuff when we get into the uh, into the bowl conversation we're going to have. We're going to have a sure. brief one. Let's do it. All right. Um, is there anything you want to say before we get going on this pod, John? Absolutely. As always, if you want to find We Live for Saturday, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. You can find Mike at Alibaba26. And you can find me, John, at Norwegian Gopher. Uh, you can also email us, uh, We Live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. All right. Awesome. And please rate and review the podcast. Please give us a five-star review and uh, and leave behind a comment. If you leave behind a comment, we'll for sure read that on the air. Um, but yes, reviews help other people find the podcast. So please do that. Give us that five-star review. We really appreciate it. Yes, please. All right. So let's talk before we get into this game. Let's talk about a little a few uh, various items first. Sure. So I want to talk about Saban gave some interviews. Nick Saban, head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, He gave some interviews and he was complaining that Michigan had an advantage by huddling. Hmm. Okay. And he said. Um, and he said, because everybody else, because, you know, everyone else runs a wide open spread type attack that Nick Saban coming out is tough to defend against coming out of a huddle and it's really exotic and they don't know exactly what, like where the players are going to line up and like they're coming out of the huddle and he doesn't know exactly where they're standing. Like he does with other teams and how this is really hard. (laughs) And this is hilarious about Saban complaining that Michigan had an advantage by huddling. This is hilarious, and it's ironic because Nick Saban was the coach who originally claimed the no-huddle, hurry-up offenses were too tough to defend, and he said they were destroying the game. And he tried to get the rules changed to ban them. And it's only after he couldn't get the rules changed, and the game, you know, the game always always the rule makers make rules in favor of offense, right? So they made, you know, rules to support and make it easier to execute that no huddle spread. That's when Saban changed his whole dynasty. So his early teams were power built on defense and running the football. And he detested that hurry up stuff. So then now Saban though, runs a QB centric QB and wide receiver centric offense, like everybody else almost. And he's talking about how Jim Harbaugh's old school Michigan offense is so tough to defend. Man, this is some Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass kind of stuff, John. 
Uh, look, man, I it's so it's the people that are are used to getting their way, and and Nick Saban has gotten his way for I don't know how many what like two decades at least, if not more, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. and gotten what he whatever he wants, however he wants, and the NCAA listens to him. Obviously, Greg Sankey listens to him. The rest of college football listens to him. This is one of the most um, powerful people, I think, in college football period and the most influential. And, and in some ways, rightfully so. You know, I mean, he's, he's he's one of the best coaches of all time in college football period or any greatest coach of the modern era. Yes, absolutely. So I got to give the guy credit. But the fact is, like, just because other people aren't doing it the way you think they should do it doesn't mean you get to complain about it and especially be a hypocrite about it. And and Nick Saban has been notorious over the years. Clearly, the reason he's had so much success is by his ability to adapt and change. And he did. He complained about it. He even tried to get the rules changed. But when that didn't happen in the way that he wanted it to go, he adapted. He changed and he got really good at it. Yes. But now you're facing somebody who is is moving it old, more old school and really playing it like that old school Big Ten football and, and just old school football in general. And it and it's working and they, they're doing it exceptionally well. And you're not able to adjust. And it's something you're just not used to seeing anymore because it's been so long since you've seen that on the field. I just it's it's funny to me because the way I'm seeing a lot of SEC fans on Twitter and, you know, and, you know, some, you know, maybe even some to some point in the media, um, you hear them all complaining and and even before the game, how, oh, this isn't, you know, why even play this? Like, what's the point in the national title without an SEC team? All this kind of BS. And Alabama had its chance. They did. They had their chance on the field. They had all the chances. Yeah. The officiating was not one-sided. No. It was, they had every chance to beat Michigan. They couldn't do it. They didn't have, they couldn't do it. exactly. And they, they, it's, it's Michigan outplayed them. Their defense was just better and more dominant on both line on, on both line of scrimmage. They were, but they were dominant as well on the offensive line of scrimmage. And so it, I just, you can't, what are you complaining about, man? You lost. That's it. Period. Like have some grace, have some, dignity and stop complaining i just don't understand that when coaches do that like you know accept the loss and be better next time that's it and you're freaking alabama like you have the ability to do to be so much better next year you had the best recruiting class out of anybody the most five stars and four stars out of any team in college football year. ratio yeah yeah so what are you complaining about you just need to be better than nick saban maybe that's a thought yep Yep, that's what I that's what I thought you would say, but I thought I just wanted to. I didn't. I waited till on the air to give John that save it because I wanted his reaction. So I like that reaction in real time. Yeah. All right. Now we're on to the. This will be a briefish discussion, but we have to have it. Is there, given the Connor Stallions, um, the Connor Stallions debacle, let's say, and all the advanced sign stealing, is there an asterisk? attached to this Michigan national title. John, what do you think? You know, cause we, that's, it's tough, man. I, you, you know, there's a lot of ways you can look at it and say yes. And then there's also a ton of ways you can say no, because the fact is I, even with that, and I think we even, we discussed this since, since day one. Um, I know you posted something on Twitter that we've been calling Michigan the best team in college football since for since like pretty much week you know week one two three early on in the season and so it was late September early October when we were like when we were officially like Michigan's the best team in the country period yeah it's and we've been, been, we've been adamant about that since then absolutely and and to be honest I I don't I still I have to say they are I, I even with the you know the the Connor Stallions and, um, incident and everything that, that was going on in Michigan and and the twice of Harbaugh getting suspended, I mean this team continued to show up and show out. Um, yes, do I think there were some things um, that gave them an advantage in at certain points of the the season, but against the best teams in the country, they did what they needed to do. And I really, I can't take that away from them. I, I can't say outright that there is an asterisk 
again uh, on this this national title. I know a lot of people just hate Michigan in general. I am also not a fan of Michigan, um, being a Gopher fan, um, but I'm not going to deny the fact that this team was well coached and very talented and showed up and played really hard and got the job done. Yeah, here's the thing. After Connor Stallions was dismissed and they weren't able to get away with that high profile, ridiculous, brazen in-person scouting anymore, they still played the bulk of their schedule or the, the meat of their schedule. They took it to Penn State. They, they beat Ohio State and they beat Alabama. And then they went out and absolutely you know we'll talk about what they did to washington but they did it they did it yep um i just i think it's sad it's sad for me because i don't think michigan had to cheat to win a national title this year yeah i don't think they did yeah. i don't think they had to i think they were the best team i think they were pretty clearly the best team and they showed in all the biggest games that they were and they were clutch in all the biggest games so I don't think they had to do it and I wish they just hadn't have done it and we didn't have to have that discussion and we didn't have that cloud. You know, it's going to be, I heard someone say it's going to be a paragraph, you know, in the article, you know, in the article about this team, that's a paragraph. It mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. You can't deny it. Harbaugh missed games, you know, all that stuff happened. So I, but it's not an asterisk because here's the thing. If that's an asterisk, then you have to go back to Cam Newton when he got blatantly paid. Yep. Right. If that's an asterisk, we could go back to a lot of national titles and talk about how somebody cheated one way or another. Yeah. So I don't think it's an asterisk because this sport inherently is just a lot of people cheating a lot of the time. And yep. the ones that are the best at it end up at the top generally. And that's like, I don't like, I don't love that that's the system we have, but it just kind of is the way it is and always has been. Yep. So until someone stops you from blatantly cheating, which they finally did, people are going to blatantly cheat and they're going to exploit things until they're forced to stop. Yep. Absolutely. Right on. So Michigan, I bet you thought we were going to go with the asterisk fans. So Michigan fans, I hope you didn't turn off the podcast. (laughs) No asterisk. We said you earned the national title. No asterisk. So we hope you didn't already turn this off. All right, moving on. Let's talk about the Bowl Challenge Cup, John. Yeah, shall we? Let's do that, man. That sounds great. The uh, Big Ten actually turns out to win the Bowl Challenge Cup this year. Huh. With a six and four record. And not only did the Big Ten win the Bowl Challenge Cup, but the Big Ten also won the national title. Okay, okay. But like, but the, the SEC is still the the best conference in college football, though, right? Like that's that's still like it really doesn't matter. Like these are just just a down year or something, right? I, I don't know. But I thought the Big Ten was supposed to be have a down year, though. That's what I was told. The Big Ten was the down year. I mean, the SEC, if you look at head-to-head competition in comp and not just in bowl season, I'm talking about in conference, you know, in uh, not in out-of-conference play during the season. Mm -hmm. The SEC had a really rough year. Yeah, they did. They lost a lot of high-profile games. I think they had, you know, a a pretty bad record overall compared to what they usually have. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think that. You know, a lot of people want to discount the bowls, but what I say is bowls are a, they're a measure of depth and program buy-in. So they still count. And there were plenty of, you can say Big Ten teams, some of them benefited from people being out, but some of them had more t- players out than the other team. Look at Ohio State. Ohio State didn't have anybody. Yeah. I think Penn, know, Penn State, I think, was pretty, was pretty depleted in some areas too. Yes, Penn State was super depleted too, and they both lost. Yep. And despite that, despite those things and those opt-outs and all that kind of stuff and all the transfers, the Big Ten still comes out with a 6-4 and four solid winning record and the national title. So I think you have to say, I know people said all year, here's what I'll say. People said all year the Pac-12, that the Pack was the best conference in college football. I think we can say after the whole season's over, now we've seen the national t- championship mm-hmm. i think the big 10 was the best conference in college football this year absolutely 
Yeah, it's not that the Pac-12 didn't look incredible this year. They were a very strong conference. They were great. They were great. Yeah, and and those, you know, having uh, – I mean, we can talk about that later. Um, I was just going to talk about Oregon and Washington coming into the Big Ten next year, which is all – that's a whole other thing we can discuss. But it's – the Big Ten did very well this year. I think overall that this conference, we, we mentioned it uh, in the last, ep- uh, last episode as well, of some of the traditional bottom dwellers, you know, finding ways to climb up. We're finding, mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing the floor being raised pretty significantly in the Big Ten over the last few years. And I think it's only going to get higher. And so this is this is going to be a really tough conference. Um, I'm a little, which is like a little discouraging <laughs> for being a fan of Minnesota because it's just going to get harder for programs like Minnesota, like Illinois, like, you know, even Wisconsin, Iowa that have produced everybody who's not Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan. Yes, exactly. And so it we're we're gonna see, you know, a lot more teams that are gonna look really great, but their records may only be six, seven, eight wins, you know. Um and that's just the way it's gonna be. But uh, you know, we'll we'll all get used to that. We'll all see how that all works out. Um, but overall I think this year, you know, the Big Ten deserves that title as being the best conference, being the best um conference in college football for sure. Yeah. So let's hang that banner, huh? That's right. All right. Okay, moving on. I want to talk. Last night's uh, national championship game was the most watched title game since 2020, LSU versus Clemson. The game benefited from having new teams in it, period. People don't want to watch the same handful of teams win the title or play for the title every year. Mm -hmm. Diversity in contenders and champions is the lifeblood of this sport. When the same teams always win, college football stagnates. Absolutely, man. And I know you and I have been talking about it for years. I know other people have been talking about it. The only ones, obviously, are the are you know the 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 traditional powers that keep continue or continue to show up every year. And this four team. Uh, college football playoff, I think, has been a total failure. Um, I total failure. I yeah, I don't think it's been successful at all. I think you're ruling out all these conference champions. You are taking so many other people and other teams out of the, out of the the equation um, with just four teams, and it's just it, it's never it's never been fair, and it's never worked. And not to say that twelve teams is going to always be is perfect either, but I feel like you're giving some more opportunity, which. The, having that parity there and the ability to maybe find those upsets, even if it is the same couple teams that come down to it at the end, it's going to be better for the sport. I think that is better for the sport because it's better for recruiting for too long in the four team era. It was just the teams that showed up in the playoff every year or either making or almost making the playoff every year who were stealing all of the blue chip recruits. Yep. We are seeing now part of it's, you know, NIL and having money spread around and, 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 and guys being able to transfer as openly as they can. Part of it's that. But I also think part of it is that move towards a 12-team playoff um, that we're seeing that recruiting is spreading out a little more and not being quite so concentrated among those top five or six teams who are stealing, you know, the bulk of the prospects. Yeah. So that's better. So we hope it can I hope it continues to move in that direction and recruiting continues to democratize, let's say. Absolutely, man. I think it's just and and just to have that diversity, like we said, like just to have two new teams playing in the national title game this year and they weren't both from the same freaking conference was a relief it was exciting and and in the last uh the last time it was it was two teams that were that were in where it was exciting was was clemson and lsu because it was the acc versus the sec at least it was something different the sec on that is still the south because clemson is south carolina so even that is still in the southeast footprint yeah so even that is not great like for inclusion but it was enough different right yep it was enough different to bring out those big numbers yep and, you know, it wasn't just it wasn't just see, watching the SEC beat its head into itself. Yeah, it wasn't just a repeat of the SEC uh, conference championship game. Like, yeah, we don't need, we already saw this 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 movie. We don't need to replay it like I'm over it. And I don't care even if it comes out differently. It just doesn't matter. And that's what I said on the last the last pod. This is on, on, and I'm being dead serious. This is the first 
national title game I have watched probably since Clemson and LSU because I've, I've like fully I've like checked in I've paid attention to the degree that I had to, to just because I care about the game sure. but I did not sit and really watch it and pay and like and zone in on the whole thing you know play for play and this was awesome and not just because of the Big Ten it was just so good and refreshing to see someone else play the play in that game yeah, absolutely. And we will get to the game in a minute. First, let's talk about some uh, some sort of roster moves within the Big Ten. We have wide receiver Julian Fleming transferring from Ohio State to Penn State. Um, my question is, is Fleming a legit number two or number one Big Ten receiver? Um, I think he's a legit number two, but I'm just not sure if he's a number one feature throw the ball to him all the time, play against double coverage every game kind of guy. Yeah, it's I I agree. I think he's definitely a solid number two. Um, I'm not sure either, and I'm not entirely sold yet that Penn State is where he would be the bet the be featured the most either, because I'm I still have some questions when it comes to Drew Aller and I and that offense, um, you know, being a pass heavy offense, it just I know that they throw a lot to their tight ends. They just don't seem to do a lot of, uh, you know, deep balls and throw it downfield, which maybe Julian Fleming can help out on that. I don't know. We're going to have to find out and see. But I think there's too many questions for me to make a definitive, uh, uh, I guess, like choice on what he might be. But for sure, number two. And I think he could definitely there's there's definitely a possibility for number one. We'll just see what. Penn State and Frank James Franklin decides to do. It's gonna be really interesting because Penn State's got that new offensive coordinator coming in next year, um, Katelniki, something like that mm-hmm. from uh, Kansas, yeah. I believe. Um, so it'll be it'll be really interesting. I think Penn State needs to see. You know, James Franklin is gonna he's gonna fire offensive coordinators until they have a great year on offense again. <laughs> yeah. Until they get what he had with Trace McSorley. And Saquon Barkley, yep. right? What he had with them. Until that happens again, he is going to fire an offensive coordinator like every year until it happens. Yep. And I don't know if that's the best way to build, but I feel like he's eventually going to get it right. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he's got to eventually strike um, strike gold here, but it's just uh, I, I'm not entirely sure it, like if you're if you are let's say you you are a, an up and coming offensive coordinator and you're finding a lot of success, do you want to go to Penn State knowing that if for some reason your system just doesn't click right away in year one, that your your head is on the chopping block? I mean I don't know like that's I don't know if like he that might even drive away uh you know perspective, um you know, staff members. I, I don't know. But again, I, I know Penn State has a lot of other things to offer money wise and other other things, too. So it's a really good hire, I think, though. I think yeah. this time I think this time they hit it out of the park. So right. if, if James Franklin can't field a great offense next year, then I just don't know if it's going to happen again. Like, that's where I'm at, because yeah. I do. Think, I do think the offensive coordinator is that much of an upgrade. And I do think they have enough talent coming back that they should be a team that is not just a juggernaut on defense. They should be a team that's really tough on offense too. Yeah, I, I think they'll have the tools. Uh, I'll just be interested to see how they how they use them. Yeah, for sure. Um, moving on, star Purdue edge rusher Nick Scourton is transferring to Texas A&M. Uh, he is a baller, so that really sucks for Purdue, and that is one of the things in the transfer portal era that sucks because he's a guy – that Purdue probably wanted to spend the next three years building their defense around. And instead he's just gone. And that's just how it goes. It's, it sucks. Cause you know, like Ryan, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised Ryan Walters wasn't able to hold on to him, you know, being the defensive mind that he is. And and m man, that bag, God, that I know, bag. I know, you know, but, but again, you know, and it's, and I get it, you know, these are, these are young guys. They, they, they see that money and, and I, I can't blame them, you know, but also we've seen A&M throw lots and lots and lots of money um, and come up with nothing or barely anything. The question is what's better for you as a player? Is it better to get the bag now or is it better to be somewhere where they can build the defense or offense around you mm-hmm. and 
be the star and then you can get drafted higher. Because ultimately, if you get drafted higher, that's where the real money is. Exactly. That's going to dwarf anything you make at the collegiate level in NIL. And that's that's where, you know, you see these players make these decisions and it's it's tough, man. You know, it's a gamble for sure. You know, because I, I, I'm sure Ryan Walters would have totally built that defense all around him. And, and he yeah. very well could have gotten drafted in the next, you know, year. And we know Ryan Walters can coach defense. Yep. We don't know if he can build a program, but we know he can coach defense. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Wisconsin's loading up on transfers, most notably linebackers. Um guy named Tackett Curtis is coming from USC. He had 40 tackles last year and two sacks as a true freshman. And Jaheim Thomas from Arkansas, who had 90 tackles last year, three and a half sacks. Um, so those are guys who have proven production. And this is a Wisconsin defense that really needs an upgrade. Yeah. Well, it's I was told the, um, that the talent that was there this year I mean, these were like all four stars. These were this was like high level talent. They just didn't develop well. And um, but, you know, I I, which is surprising to me, um, given that I know that, uh, you know, Wisconsin has traditionally had very good linebackers. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm curious to see how that's going to work out. Um, I think Luke Fickle is going to be able to do something with that and build around that and get back to, you know, a much better defense next year. Um, not sure if it's going to be the same level of what Jim Leonard was able to have, but I think that they should be better. It's pretty hard to get there, but yeah. they should be a lot better next year. Yeah. So I think it's a good move. I think it's smart. I think they needed to. Um, obviously, it wasn't working what they had this year. So they, they just had to move on and, and kind of start over. Yep. Agreed. All right. And then we've got the uh, Minnesota golden Gophers. PJ Fleck has hired his next defensive coordinator. It's Corey Heatherman, the linebacker coach from Rutgers. Heatherman previously coached as a defensive coordinator at James Madison and at Maine. Um, he's kind of a, has a strange story. He started as an offensive coach and was an offensive player and had to switch to learn how to coach defense. So that's kind of a fascinating wrinkle. Um, his defenses at James Madison and Maine were really successful and his linebackers at Rutgers were all at least all conference honorable mention or better this year. Um, so this guy is from the Shiano coaching tree and Rutgers runs a very similar defense to what Minnesota ran under Joe Rossi. Um, Heatherman sounds like he wants to blitz a little more than Rossi did. Rossi was very bend, but don't break. So that's interesting. So that'll be something to monitor, but all in all, PJ Fleck hires coaches from Greg Shianu. Greg Shianu hires coaches from PJ Fleck. This is something we've seen pretty often, John. So what are your reactions, uh, to this hire? I, I, it's too early to tell. I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I don't think it's a bad hire by any means. I think it's, I think it, there's a lot of potential there. Um, I know Joe Harasimiak, um, it has done a great job over at Rutgers. I know their defense probably impressed me the most out of any defense in the big 10 this year. Um, just for what they're working with, um, you know, Penn state, it was expected, you know, I mean, they're, they have the talent every single year, year in and year out. What they were, what I was able to see them do at Rutgers was very impressive. And so that excites me that there's a part of that, um, that is coming, uh, over to Minnesota. Um, I hope that it translates here. I think that we have some, we, Minnesota has some, uh, uh, tools that will be able to be utilized within that, that defense. And um, yeah, I am curious if we're, you know, to see if Minnesota is going to blitz more and be more aggressive. Um, I there's definitely periods of time that I wanted to see that. Uh, I'm just I'm still interested to see if like if we'll have all of the tools to, to do that consistently and, and I guess like safely, if you will, um, without getting burned. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting hire. I I'm going to kind of wait and see, I guess. Yeah, it's really interesting. And of course, you know, PJ Fleck being an offensive coach, his defensive coordinators kind of have free reign to do what they want. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they have to fit into the existing framework. Like, yes, I think they picked, I think he picked Heatherman because he runs a very similar defense to what Joe Rossi ran. 
And because of his past success, um, both coaching linebackers at Rutgers, but as defensive coordinator at James Madison in Maine, um, he's been somewhat of a dynamic recruiter, it looks like as well. So, you know, you can see why he's appealing as an up and coming coach to be um, PJ Flex next defensive coordinator. And, you know, it looks like, I don't know, it looks to me like a really good hire, but it better be. Yeah. Because, you know, PJ Flex program is very dependent on, on having a really solid defense. And if he doesn't have that, we saw what happens last year. They went five and seven. Yep. Well, six and seven. I guess. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I think there's definitely potential to be pretty good. And I think there's, there's enough tools yeah, in, on the team that that it should be able to be be pretty effective. Um, I'm just yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued. Let's just put it that way. I'm also before I don't know if we t- we didn't talk about this prior to uh, uh, our little pre pod powwow here, um, but I also wanted to touch a little bit on the new special teams coach coordinator. That's oh, yeah? Bill Ligashevsky. Think I believe that's correct. Yeah, yeah. From yep. uh, coming over from Syracuse, I know he was at Illinois. I know he's coached in the NFL. They were saying he's got a Super Bowl ring, all that kind of stuff. I don't. Again, I've I've only heard just from through the grapevine from some people from Illinois and um, Syracuse, and there's it's kind of a mixed bag. Yes, it is a mixed bag. Here's what I'll say: This is not a scientific way to judge coaching hires but I've found it's as effective as anything else. So when a coach gets hired, I like to go to where he's coaching now to the message board and find out what the fans think about coaches who are leaving. And with Heatherman as DC, Rucker's super sad to see him go, think he's awesome, think it's a big loss to the program. Yep. Syracuse with Ligashevsky, man, that thread was not super positive. Yeah. They were not, they were not, nobody seemed very unhappy for him to walk out the door. And that worries me a little bit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he's got a lot of experience. His numbers are pretty good if you look at how his units ranked, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Return units and kicking and all that kind of stuff. So, and punting. Um, So, it seems like he's done a pretty good job, but he's obviously lacked enough to make fan bases not super, or the, at least the most recent fan base, not super impressed with his work. So, But then again, is that also the fact that when you're at Syracuse, special teams is about athleticism, mm-hmm. right? And how, how much athleticism can you recruit at Syracuse? It's a tough place to recruit. Yeah. It's a basketball area. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's not, you know, it's just not a place. It's, you know, the whole, it's hard at some basketball schools Mm -hmm. to recruit for football. And I think Syracuse has that problem. So is it a thing where that was just a one-off and he'll have better talent to work with at Minnesota and can maybe, you know, get better results? Or is it a thing where he's been around? Like, it's impressive how long he's been around. It's impressive he's been in the NFL. He spent a lot of time, what he said, a decade in the NFL or something? I think so, yeah. So you you don't last for a decade in the NFL if you if you're totally incompetent, you know, you just don't. Right? So it seems like they're really positive things. My question when I get a guy in this phase of his career is always does he still have the fire to prove himself? Yeah. Because guys like that who have proven a lot, who have been around a lot, you know, what's he been around 39 years coaching? I think so. Yeah, close to it. If 39 if not 40, yeah, something like that. So is that a guy does he still have the like and this you know and i i'm not saying they don't there are plenty of older coaches who are great okay like i am not i'm not being ageist i'm not saying that older coaches are bad for any but i do think when you've accomplished a certain amount sometimes guys rest on their laurels a little bit i think we saw that in the last staff when uh when when pj fleck had brick haley as d-line coach it was rumored through the grapevine that he did not work very hard at recruiting or otherwise um, so that's my question with a guy like Ligashevsky is like, how, how, you know, how hard is he going to be willing to work and how bought in is he going to be on, on like row the boat? He's been coaching for 40 years. Row the boat is a very specific culture. Is he willing to go all in on that? PJ must think he is, you know? So I'll, 
I'll give PJ credit because he had, I wanted him to go out and make an adult hire and find someone who was a really accomplished, has a really good resume. And he did that. Yep. Um, I'm just a little worried because his most recent stop had mixed results. Yeah, I'm concerned for the same reasons. Uh, but <laughs> I'm also kind of like, well, where do we have to go from here? I mean, we go from Rob Wanger. So even if it just becomes a competent special teams unit where we're not, you know, screw shooting ourselves in the foot, um, you know, bobbling, muffing punts or, you know, just all the other debacles that, that we saw the, the, over the years, uh, especially this year. Um, I'd be happy with that. You know, I, I would be happy with just like consistent 10, 15 yard returns, something, some kind of, you know, uh, some, some kind of yardage on those returns. And I'm not and so that would be to me, that would be an improvement and that's acceptable. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Just get us out of the bottom. Yeah, out of the bottom for returns for sure. Minnesota, though, ha- just had the Big Ten kicker of the year. So a sure. big part of Lekashevsky's job is going to be finding the next kicker and the next punter for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he's got to nail those, right? Yeah. Like that's more important. That's that's more important than the return game put together. True. That he nailed the next kicker and punter. That's true. So it's an important. These are two important hires for PJ Fleck. He needs he needs to have gotten these right to compete in the new big 10 yep. or not or else he might find himself in a year or two on the hot seat. Yep. Right on. All right. Should we talk about this national title game? Let's do it. Yeah. Now everybody's been waiting yeah. with bated breath. Let's do that. Yeah. We have for the last game of this season, the Michigan Wolverines, 34, the Washington Huskies, 13. Total yards, Washington had 301 to Michigan's 443. Both teams passed the ball okay, but neither threw the ball great. The difference in this game is that Michigan had over 300 yards rushing while Washington managed just 46 yards on the ground. Washington also had two turnovers while Michigan had none. Um, So that was a difference there. And then the penalties were roughly even. For Michigan, QB J.J. McCarthy had a workmanlike performance, going 10 for 18 for 140 yards, 7.8 yards per attempt, no TDs, but no picks as well. His QBR was just 58.4, but it didn't matter because J.J. McCarthy was not the focal point of the offense in this game. Michigan running backs Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards were the focal points of the offense this game, and they both eclipsed 100 yards. Corum was named game MVP. He finished with 134 yards on a gaudy 6.4 yards per rush, two TDs with a long run of 59 yards, an explosive and efficient day for Blake Corum. And yet, Donovan Edwards' stats were even wilder. Edwards ran the ball just six times, but had 104 yards rushing for an average of over 17 yards per rush. That's crazy, John. He had two 40-plus yard TD runs in the first quarter of the game, and that set the tone for the entire night. McCarthy also chipped in 31 yards on the ground, which was key for the Wolverines. Um, at receiver, they didn't do a ton, but the plays they made were big. Tight end Colston Loveland had three catches for 64 yards, including a 41-yard catch, which spurred a Michigan scoring drive. Wide receivers Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson each had three catches for a combined 79 yards. Wilson had a 37-yard completion, which flipped the field on a possession as well. On D, Michigan was incredible. Mike DB Mike Sandristill had a banner game with eight tackles, six solo, and an interception. He returned 81 yards to set up a Michigan touchdown, which iced the game. Uh, DB Keon Saba had or uh, Saab, excuse me, had six tackles and two passes defended. And while Mason Graham didn't put up big stats, he was a terror. Uh, at defensive tackle, who blew up the line of scrimmage all night and had Michael Penix and the Husky running backs running for their lives all game long. Dude was an absolute wrecking ball all game and all year, really. I think he deserves a lot of praise in this game. Uh, For Washington, QB Michael Penix attempted 51 passes but completed just 27 of them for 255 yards, but just five yards per attempt, one TD, and two back-breaking interceptions. His QBR was just 63. Uh, Star Husky running back Dylan Johnson was already banged up coming into the game, but he then proceeded to get hurt on the first play. 
So that was rough. He toughed it out, but ended up with just 33 yards and 11 carries. Uh, Michigan totally bottled up that Husky running game and dominated the line of scrimmage. For Washington, wide receiver Roma Dunze had five grabs for 87 yards, but Michael Penix missed him on multiple attempts where he was wide open. He could have had a much better game if Penix hadn't struggled so much. Um, But Penix struggled because he was throwing in the teeth of that Michigan pass rush. Tight end Jack Westover had five catches for 42 yards, and star wide receivers Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan were held to 10 catches, but for just 70 yards, although McMillan did score a touchdown. The Washington D really struggled to stop Michigan all night, although they had some good stretches of play in the middle of the game. Um, It's at the beginning and the end of the game that they couldn't contain the Wolverines. John, what did you think about this national title game? This was fun. Um, It was there was a little bit of uh, back and forth. I I, for a while anyways. I mean, I know Michigan pretty much, you know, I I, got to say, okay, they, they did pretty much dominate the majority of the game, but. There was a solid two quarters where I was having I was I was getting a little concerned, you know, that Michigan started out obviously really hot. Donovan Edwards, I was like, whoa, you know, MVP of the game. Um, just incredible. He played his best game all season um, just in time. And so I was just thinking Michigan was going to run away with this. And it looked like it on both sides of the ball. And but then all of a sudden, um, it looked like Michigan was just going away from what was working. I, I know they want to keep uh, Washington honest, but it was a little scary. It, it made me think, like, are they going to give this game away? Um, because you can't. You cannot give Penix so many chances to to take this game back because he can. And no, you can't ball over against Washington because if you turn the ball against over against Washington Penix will have extra possessions and if you give him extra possessions you're done yep so I mean thankfully uh, Michigan's defense was able to always come up clutch and be able to stop him and obviously as we saw as the game went on you know they were just beating the crap out of him and and he was he was in rough shape by the end of that game I'm sure he had some broken ribs here and there so that's got to be brutal. You saw him just wincing in pain on his side. So I don't know. It's so that was that's, you know, it's too bad. But at the same time, um, Michigan, I think just overall was going to overwhelm them. They have I think they had more depth, obviously, a talent, uh, talent depth. They were able to uh, work and play their game throughout. Um, they did the whole boa constrictor thing and they just yeah. suffocated Washington until there was nothing left. And you just saw like it, once we got into the like, you know, end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, Washington just didn't have anything left. All the gas was out of the tank. Even Michigan was a little tired. Obviously, I know you texted me during the game saying I think both these teams might have played, you know, their best games, uh, you know, in the semifinals. But Michigan had yeah. a little bit more gas and they were able to finish it off and. Washington just didn't have enough to come back. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that, yeah, that ultimately Michigan just had more stamina. And I think it's this more stamina is because they were just better up front yep. on both sides of the ball. And in a football game, we talk a lot about the quarterbacks. We talk a lot about the skill players. But football ultimately is a game of blocking and tackling. And if you're the better team up front, you are probably going to win the game more uh, more often than not. You're going to win the game. Um, the beginning really went Michigan's way. The Wolverines dominated up front on a physical scoring drive punctuated by a long touchdown run. They gave up some yards between the 20s on the next Washington drive, but got the red zone stop they wanted to keep it just to a field goal. And then, you know, Michigan got the ball back and had another explosive running play and got up, you know, and scored again. And that was, you know, right then Washington was in trouble because I really felt like going into this game that if Washington was going to win, they needed to get ahead early. They needed to make Michigan play from behind and uncomfortable because Michigan doesn't hasn't hasn't had to play from behind all year because they've dominated all year, Mm -hmm. essentially. So they needed to get ahead of Michigan. They could not do it. And so even when they started playing better and Washington did play much better in the second and third quarters than they played in the first quarter. Much better. Yeah. Even when they started playing better, they were already in a hole. And you could see that benefited uh, Michigan with the game script. Um, Penix was harassed all day, and it dramatically impacted his accuracy. He was consistently overthrowing receivers 
as Michigan got pressure uh, with just four rushers. Penix needed a transcendent performance where he hit wide receivers despite being harassed by the Michigan pass rush all day. However, he just didn't have his best stuff. And we have to credit the Michigan D for showing a lot of looks and consistently getting pressure on the QB without blitzing. This was, you know what Michigan needed last night, John? They needed like a Kirk Cousins performance against Georgia for Sparty in the 2012 Outback Bowl. I remember that game. Yeah. It became clear early in that game that Michigan State was not going to be able to block the Georgia D-line at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Kirk Cousins knew he had to get the ball out early and he had to be accurate. And Penix got the ball out plenty early, but he just wasn't nearly accurate enough. Yeah, it was a little surprising to see that. I, I, and I know, you know, going against that mission, having that Michigan D line coming at you and beating you up, you know, play after play, because he was getting hit even after all the time, every play he was going down and he was going down hard. So that's it's just it's really tough to to stay and remain accurate and and in that time when you know when you are you're running for your life and that's what Michigan's D line has been doing to everybody all season long. Mm-hmm. As a yeah. unit, they are the most effective unit I saw in college football this year. Period. Yeah, Michigan's D line this year was every bit on par I thought with the Georgia D line the last two years. Yep. That level of just elite game wreckers across the across the board, you know, anchored inside by amazing defensive tackle play. And if you have great defensive tackle play, you you probably have a good defense because you're wrecking what the opponent is trying to do all the time. Um, it, look, it doesn't hurt that he clearly got banged up during the game with some sort of rib injury. Like you said, he clearly got his ribs. He probably broke some ribs in there. Mm. But even before that, Penix was missing open, guys. When he when Michigan blew a coverage on that fourth down, Penix had Roma Dunze open for a TD with without pressure, really, and missed him entirely, turning the ball over. I knew Washington was a less talented team going into the game, but when they missed that wide open fourth down, I knew there was no way this was going to be their night. Mm-hmm. not against a once in a generation kind of Michigan squad that was as veteran and savvy as you'll see in this sport. Well, and it's almost, <laughs> I know some other people have touched on this, but it's funny, right? Like, like uh, Washington's offensive line, it was elite this year, but you now saw them go against a big 10 defense, the, the best, you know, probably the best defense in the big 10 and what they can do and what big 10 defenses traditionally do to other teams. And, but also, you know, the offenses may not be fancy and they may not have a lot of, uh, a lot of fireworks all the time, but look at what they can do. And, and it's almost as if big 10, the big 10 is a really hard conference to play in. And so for those that I've heard coming from some, Pac-12 schools that are going to be coming into the Big Ten. Um, just be prepared. It's not going to be as easy as you think. You have had some high-powered offenses, but you've never faced defenses like this consistently week in and week out. And that's going to be a challenge. And so there's going to be some adjustments. Um, and I'm very intrigued in, to see what's going to happen there. But uh, I know I'm getting a little sidetracked, but it just it made me think of that because I know that big, the Big Ten needs to be getting again, just like we talked about with the Bulls, with the national title this year, the Big Ten deserves more credit than what it's been getting for its quality of play on the field. Yeah, and I think that's going to you're going to see that change because ESPN doesn't control the college football media anymore. Mm-hmm. We have all these other networks that are involved and all these other networks invested in the Big Ten. And you're not going to see them denigrate the Big Ten openly the way the big, you know, the way the SEC has done on the sly since like 2006. Yep. You know, Um, and yeah, so I I absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. Um, Let's talk about J.J. McCarthy. He was okay, not amazing. He made the plays he needed to make on a night when the defense and running game led the way. I don't. Has any has any national championship winning quarterback in the modern era broken as little of a sweat as JJ McCarthy broke on his way to the title? Man, it was like it was like uh uh Greg McElroy on that first Alabama title team, where it's like he was just like along for the ride, baby. <laughs> and like, don't get me wrong, JJ McCarthy is better than is a lot better than Greg McElroy. Yes. But 
the 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 similarity is not in what kind of players they are. They're in what they were asked to do in the offense. Yeah. And JJ McCarthy, yeah, he put up big stats in games they won by a lot, but like in the close games, it was really a focus on run. There was really a focus on running the ball, dominating the line of scrimmage. And JJ McCarthy just did not have to play. He didn't have to play his best ball for Michigan to win a national title. And that's, I mean, that's that's quite a compliment to Michigan and to Jim Harbaugh. Yep. You had your quarterback. Essentially, we don't know still like quite how great JJ McCarthy is. We know he's a really good player. We know he's good enough to win a national title. We know he makes plays with his legs. He extends things. He's got a big arm, all that kind of stuff. But is JJ McCarthy like a surefire NFL quarterback? I don't have any idea. No idea. It's because in the, it is a little confusing, like, cause this year, like you see him make ridiculous plays, like the one in against Alabama off of his back foot. He's falling oh, on the double pass. Yeah. Where he reached out and turned away from the line, grabbed it, turned, spun, sidearmed it, and it just like in stride, perfect pass. And like you see him do stuff like that, but he just didn't have to do stuff like that that much. Yeah. So it, it is, it's hard to tell. Like, is that, is that like, can he do more of that consistently? Yeah. Or is that just like, a, a, you know, is that just an every once in a while type of thing? I don't know, man. I, I think he's capable. Um, I, I think, you know, for someone like for JJ, I think like, I, I would like to see him come back another year. I'd like to see him, um, you know, see what else he can do, because I think even Michigan fans have to have to agree that there's, they're still not entirely sure what the extent of his talent really is at this point in time. We know he's good, but how good is he? Yeah. But is it smart for him to come back? Or do you go to the NFL on top of a national title, walking out that door, thinking you're probably going to be a first round pick? Like, is it risky? Like, I'd like to see J.D. McCarthy come back, too, because I I think I would like to see, you know, next year, Michigan is Michigan will still be really good. They're Michigan, right? They recruit at a top 10 level. But Michigan next year is not going to be what they are this year. No, they're not going to have all those veteran guys in all those positions. It's going to be a thing where they're going to need more from their quarterback next year than they needed from their quarterback this year. So does JJ McCarthy, like, does he relish that challenge? Is he like, oh, yeah, I'm going to come back and show everybody like when Jalen Hurts transferred from Alabama in a run heavy offense, went to Oklahoma and showed everybody he could throw the ball. Right. Yeah. Is JJ McCarthy like, I want to come back and do that. Or is he like, hey, I won three Big Ten titles. I won a national title. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Let's call it good. I'm riding off into the sunset. I'm a, I'm a Wolverine legend going to the NFL. And when Harbaugh was asked about it recently, he said that he couldn't tell JJ he wasn't ready. He said JJ is clearly ready for the NFL. Hmm. That's what Harbaugh said. So is that a tip on what's going to happen? And the other thing is, does McCarthy want to come back if Harbaugh doesn't come back? Because I'm of the opinion that that was – maybe we should segue into that. Yeah. I'm of the opinion that that was Jim Harbaugh's last game at Michigan. And yeah. I think he's going to the NFL. I I I have to agree. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot left to to see here, but I do think he's he's been, he's always he's had one foot in one foot out for a few years now. Um, and he's, he's just a, the NFL every year. He that's where he wants to be and now he's won the national title. Exactly. So he's won a national title. He has wanted to win a Super Bowl forever. And so he's been there and he wants that back. I think he wants to actually finish the job. Um, And so I I wouldn't be surprised. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, would will JJ want to come back if his if his coach is not there? And I would say no, I would I would then fully expect him to leave and, and, you know, enter the draft. Um, But I I guess like with Jim Harbaugh, man, you know, you got to also think that he's all there's got to be a part of him that is so sick of the 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 controversy and everything like that year in and year out that's going that's surrounding him which he put brings upon himself more often than not oh yeah he openly antagonizes the NCAA yeah <laughs> and like for a good reason right he's saying hey players need to get paid and it is ridiculous that players do need to be employees they should have been employees decades ago mm-hmm. they should be getting paid directly by the conferences out of all this TV revenue like live, you know, like livable, good wages because so much money is being made off of their labor. Yep. They should be paid. Harbaugh's right about that. But 
it also he has not you know he has not gone along with NCA investigations. He's antagonized them publicly. Harbaugh seems like he's done dealing with the NCA. Yeah, and that's where I th- I think that that six games out of fifteen this year, six games he couldn't even be at the game because yeah. of two different suspensions. Like, how long are you going to put up putting up with that if you're Jim Harbaugh? Well, and I and I think he and he kind of like it's so funny too because like he didn't even really like. When he when it happened, it's not like he's like sitting there like he's not really upset. He's like, yeah, whatever. Like he just <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. I think he's over it. He's just over it. He doesn't even care anymore. He's like, say what you want. Like, what are you really going to do to me? Like, you know, clearly the, he knows the NCAA has, you know, no teeth, essentially. And so he's and he and look, look what he did. He won a freaking national title after being yeah. kicked out of half, you know, basically half the season, you know, so. Mm-hmm. What what else you know? What else you got to prove? I think he's done it. He's made his point to the NCAA. He's made his point to the Big Ten. Everybody else, uh, you know, he probably he probably wants to walk off into the sunset as well. Yeah, I agree. I think he wants that next challenge. He wants to go back and win, uh, win a Super Bowl. Yep. So I think we're gonna see him jump to the NFL. And we're going to see a pretty big, you know, exodus in his wake because, I mean, that was going to happen anyway because Michigan's a very veteran team. So a lot of guys are either graduating or going to the draft at this mm-hmm. point. Yep. So it's good they got it, man, Michigan, because I think this was this was as good a chance as they were ever going to have at it. Yeah. It was the best team that you were going to have and that you have had in decades. So this was congratulations, Michigan. Yes. Congratulations to the Big Ten for having a national title here since 2014. We're very glad that that happened. It deserves it. Michigan deserves it. Jim Harbaugh deserves it. Every player on that team deserves it. Yes. Congratulations to Michigan. It was a monster win um, and a really just impressive 15-0 and season. You can't say enough about an undefeated season against the schedule they played. I do have to say one more thing. Just... To be, you know, a little controversial here, but the, oh, yeah, let's it, it's complimentary, but it's also I'm just, you know, going to say this is uh, um, Michigan is the first team. This comes from uh, at Drew Van Dries, um, a tweet here that says Michigan is the first team to allow less than 25 points in all 15 games since Minnesota did it 120 years ago. So there you go. You know what, Michigan? Congratulations. You finally did did it. You have overcome. You've finally done something. And and you know, now now you can hold that over us. And you're the new, the new uh, I guess, best defensive team of all time. Because before that it was Minnesota 120 years ago. There you go. <laughs> you cannot deny that. You can't deny it. It's facts. It's just facts. It's reality. Everyone knows this. Everyone needs to acknowledge that. So everyone should know it (laughs) Um, right on. All right. So here's something I want to talk about now. Okay. This is something I think is wild and like schematically, we're going to talk about scheme a little bit, but in broad strokes. So don't worry. We're not going to get too, too, uh, in too much into the minutia. Um, for the third consecutive year, John, the national champion of college football has utilized a run first offense and not just any run first offense. We aren't talking about wide open spread to run schemes with four wide receivers and like getting guys into space. I'm talking multiple tight ends, huge O line in your face, shifting power F U football. Power football was pronounced dead as recently as like four years ago. Yeah. This season, notwithstanding, even Nick Saban changed his tactics and he abandoned the power football structure of his first few champions once he got Tua and Mac Jones and Bryce Young and he started throwing it all over the yard and playing up tempo with a wide open offense focused on elite QB and wide receiver play. But that's not what we saw from Michigan this year. And it's not what we saw from Georgia the last two years. I don't think this means most teams will go back to power football, John, but I do think it means that at the highest levels of the sport, not only can you still win championships featuring the running game and limiting how much impact the QB has on the, on the, on the game as a whole, 
um, not exposing your QB and making him make a bunch of you know decisions where he might make some mistakes. Not only can you win titles with that, um, but that's that's how the last three teams have won national titles. JJ McCarthy did not have a prolific night last night. He threw for what, like 140 yards, completed like half of his passes. Didn't matter at all. I think it's fair to say that power football is fully back. And it'll be interesting to see how many elite teams mimic this strategy. And I would say even in the Big Ten, because there's only so many elite QBs to go around, right? Yep. Who can who can who can throw it all over the yard and run that kind of ball. So I think Ohio State getting Will Howard is really telling, as I think it signals a return to like an Urban Meyer power style spread where you feature the QB as a passer and as a runner. That is way different than the drop back and pick you apart Ryan Day offenses we are used to seeing. So I think the whole sport is shifting in a way that four years ago people would have said is insane. So what do you think? I love it. This is the type of football that I we grew up watching and the smash mouth offense and defensive lines just like pushing and shoving each other all around and watching these <clears throat> these different shifts and motions and i i'm i am excited because this is what i love i i i enjoy you know uh, sure i i enjoy some fireworks through the air here and there but i get bored i mean if i want to watch that every single game i'll watch the nfl i want to see strategy i want to see power against power i want to see um, adjustments on the fly, you know, from, you know, quarter to quarter. And, and that's what I, I, I want to see with these teams and, and the shift of the, of the, the sport in general is it makes it more exciting. I'm not saying take away the pass, but I want to incorporate the run. I want to incorporate, you know, options. I, I want to see, you know, more read option play or, or, you know, throw in, man, I mean, God, I would, I would go nuts if i saw a team adopt the triple option that would be amazing i mean just crazy let's just go fun you know let's go crazy because that's what college football used to be everything was so different every team was so different because you had to work and, and strategize around what your personnel was from year to year and i know it still is more so than the nfl but i want to get back to that where you can see some more exciting play and to me i that that it means incorporating more of the run game Styles make fights, period. And the thing that makes college football superior to the NFL, and yeah, I said it, it superior is. to the NFL, is that in the NFL, when someone wins a Super Bowl, everybody tries to be exactly like that team. And they all mimic it, and they all run the same running plays, and the same passing plays, and the same handful of defensive fronts. And then they just they get creative within that, but framework, like structurally large scale, it's all the same and similar and copycat. And in college football, everybody has to scheme dramatically differently because everyone has different strengths and different weaknesses. And that changes from year to year. And you have to build an identity from your program and recruit to that identity. And that's what makes college football so exciting. The fact that we just had Michigan, Georgia, and Georgia win the title with power running, you know, in this in the spread, um, in the spread revolution like era we live in, to have that kind of power football have a moment is really exciting. Totally agree, man. I totally agree. I love it. Yeah, I want to also say uh, before we stop talking about Michigan, I'm not also not saying. I know I said a lot of players will be gone. They'll still be really good. Like if you look at their defensive line. Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, Derek Moore all return for Michigan up front next year. So Michigan could still be, you know, a, a juggernaut-y Big Ten title contending kind of team. I'm not saying that they aren't going to do that, just yeah. to be clear. Well, there's a lot of questions around the Big Ten, you know, that we're all going to see next year with new teams coming in. Uh, we're, there's a lot of big, there's a big shakeup. Oh, I don't even think we talked about this. A big shakeup in uh, Ryan Day and his staff. And what's going to be oh, yeah. going on? Yeah, at Ohio State. So that's going to be interesting too. Yeah, he told what? Well, didn't he tell like several staffers that they weren't going to be retained? Yeah, and he's replaced. I think them so far. Yep, I think there was at least a handful of them. I'm not sure, like half a dozen. But uh, it's it's 
it's a big change for sure. He's feeling the pressure. You know what it reminds you of? It reminds you of when Jim Harbaugh cut fired over half of his staff in 2020 after he got his pay cut. Yep. And his staff got younger and hungrier and more um and I guess more assured of what they were doing and now he won a national title. Yep. So I feel like Ryan Day is trying to follow that same track and, you know, remake his staff in a way and also like I said with like I said, getting Will Howard, I think we're going to see more QB run from them next year. We're going to see them get a little more like Michigan. Yeah. So we've really come full circle here yeah. from Ohio State being the 800-pound gorilla in the room that everybody has to contend with, that everyone's trying to build a roster to beat. Now Michigan is the team that everyone's trying to build a roster to beat. Yep. And that's as high a praise as I can give Michigan. There you go. <clears throat> right on. All right, John, is there anything else you want to talk about in this podcast? Yes. As we always end this podcast with, I want to say, uh, if you want to find us here, uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. You can find Mike at Alibaba26. You can find me, John, at Norwegian Gopher. And you can email us at We Live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. And like I said before, uh, please do leave five star reviews and comments. Um, they really help us, you know, find more listeners for the podcast. So we really appreciate that. Please. Yes. All right. Here we are. Over an hour and five minutes. So we will be back soon with more content. Don't worry. Welcome to the off season. Yes, welcome to the off season. All right. All right.